Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. praying the news headlines this morning right along with you Uh, and so i know that there is very likely news in your own life over which you are praying god's grace so let us by the mercies of god and by the power of the holy spirit extend our prayers over the concerns of one another today praying the news this morning one of the uh one of the headlines today globally uh, of which i want to make you aware and it's uh, this giant cyclone, this super cyclone, is going to um, make landfall Wednesday evening. And so, you know, we're we're going to return to this story. But it is the largest uh, cyclone ever recorded in um, West Bengal. Right, you're saying to yourself, I don't know where West Bengal is. So um, this is a super cyclonic storm it intensified on monday uh to become the tro- the strongest cyclone ever over the bay of bengal uh you think of bengal tigers here uh, so the bay of bengal we're talking about um a storm surge of 4 to 5 meters above normal high tide uh and the forecast is that it is going to hit in the heart of bangladesh okay so we're talking about India. We're talking about Bangladesh. We are talking about countries already uh, impoverished. And so I just want you to consider for a moment, how would you move a million people off of a coastline? Um, let's just start with that. How would you move a million people off of a coastline in the middle of a pandemic? Where would you take them? Um, and how, in the midst of all of that, would you deal with the realities of a pandemic? Um, and how is help going to come from the outside as it normally comes, right? Normally help comes from the outside following these events when all of your borders are closed to aid of any kind. Sort of the meanwhile in America headline of the morning. <clears throat> meanwhile in America. Well, let's just keep in mind that what people are dealing with around the globe. And yes, what people are dealing with right here and right now. Um, a thousand chickens are being described as rescued and rehomed from an Iowa egg farm to a California animal sanctuary. They're being airlifted. Airplanes are flying these thousand chickens uh, from Iowa, where they were slated to be euthanized because the egg farm uh, has experienced, you know, such a severe downturn in terms uh, a downturn in terms of uh, eggs going to market. So this doesn't have anything to do with the you know chickens' desire to produce an egg. Let me just tell you, I have chickens. Every chicken produces an egg, or every hen produces an egg, every uh, 14 hours of sunlight. That's what she needs. So there you go. She gets 14 hours of light, she's producing an egg. Um, And so uh, chickens have continued to produce eggs, but getting all of those eggs to market has has, uh, uh, proven more and more difficult in terms of of processing right now. And so 100,000 birds were slated to be euthanized at this Iowa farm. Now, 
let's just look at the numbers there because um, remember the headline is that a thousand chickens have been uh, rescued and rehomed to this California animal sanctuary. Um, 99,000 birds were still euthanized. And let's, let's just talk about language here a little bit. And let's just talk about um, the light that this sheds on animal agriculture in America and that which most Americans prefer not to see which is the side of farming and the side of animal ag, um, that means that what is on your plate was once alive in many, many cases. Okay, so the reason that I surface this is because uh, I have now, over the last three or four days, heard mainstream media stories related to calling for the abolition of animal agriculture. Um, And I think that for those of us who live in parts of the country um, or on farms or, you know, whose livelihood comes from animal ag, uh, that includes dairy, that includes eggs, that includes, um, or, you know, poultry, that includes all kinds of meat, all right, cheese, all of it. They want it all gone. So there are animal agricultural, animal agriculture abolitionists on the move right now. Uh, they are interested in the climate conversation, and they are also interested in the vegan conversation. And so uh, you just need to be aware of all of that, because that is a conversation that is coming quickly to a community near you. All right. So all of that said, let's get Justin Gibney on the line. We're going to talk about the Ahmad Avery uh, case out of Georgia. We have um, we have not talked about this yet here on the program specifically. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Justin Gibney. He is an attorney. He works with an organization called the And Campaign. He is a friend. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How's it going? Well, uh, I am well. My family is well. I trust the same is true of you and yours. Doing well. This is a hard conversation to start um, because it's it's horrific at so many levels, and it continues to um, sort of grow in its horror. So I'm just going to, I mean, just say the name, Ahmad Arbery, and and I would turn to, you know, somebody and say, when was the last time you just went out for a run? Um, and did it end with a run for your life? And that is what this young man experienced. So for people who are, I can't imagine anyone listening is not familiar with this story, but for people who are not familiar with this story, um, why don't you brief us in? Yeah, so um, in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, in February, uh, Ahmad Arbery was apparently, uh, from what we can tell, kind of jogging through a neighborhood. Uh, he stopped and, and kind of looked through uh, a house that was being built, at, and the video shows that several people had done the same thing. And he was subsequently hunted down by a father and son, uh, someone following behind them, also taking video, and he was shot and killed. Uh, they followed him with guns. Uh, stopped him, uh, ran up to him with a gun. Uh, he tried to defend himself, and he was shot and killed. Unfortunately, initially, the uh, district attorney did not want to do anything about it. Uh, it was delayed, and then they then they went on to say that um, they would take it to a, a grand jury. Uh, but thankfully, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation stepped in, and the uh, the father and son have been indicted. <laughs> 
I can't even, um, I can't, it's, there aren't words because this is not the world I want to live in. Um, And so why don't you share with us the kinds of conversations you would hope Christians would be having um, about not only this isolated incident, but the fact that this is not just an isolated incident. That's right. Uh, You know, the first thing I would start with is that as Christians, we should value life. You know, so those of us who are pro-life, those of us who understand the importance of human dignity uh, through the Imago Dei, we should be on the front lines of these conversations anytime the human dignity of someone is, uh, is, is, is compromised. Uh, you know, this is a situation where it's hard to say that if uh, Ahmad looked differently, that this wouldn't have happened. Uh, this may not have happened uh, to you, Carmen, and that's not, you know, to criticize you. But because of how he looked, you know, he was put in a situation that most Americans would not be put in. And that's not OK. And Christians should be the first one to make that very clear. And I'll tell you, I I have been encouraged that Christians on kind of both sides of the ideological spectrum or the political spectrum have stepped in and said, this is wrong. You know, to to see someone uh, uh, like uh, Dr. Russell Moore step in and say, there's no way this should have happened. It doesn't really even matter, you know, what other facts may come up from that video. It's very clear that he should not have died. Uh, And that's really what we need to be doing. And we need to be making sure that as a Christian community, we're an example of not showing this kind of partiality, not showing this kind of prejudice and saying this is wrong and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that it never happens again. So, um, Justin, part of what is, you know, like distressing to me is that, you know, obviously other people saw this happening. Um. And and did not rush in. Um, that that hurts my heart. Um, I mean, these you know the people who took this action um, themselves. You know that is one issue to deal with. But the issue of other people watching it happen troubles me as well. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's troubling. I mean, there's a. You know, there's almost an assumption that uh, certain people from certain groups have done something wrong or that they're deserving of whatever consequence that, you know, they're facing. And we just have to work on that. We have to make sure that we see people in the same way. I mean, this is all, you know, what Dr. King had been been talking about, uh, that we don't make the assumptions that we have because many of the assumptions that we have come from the brokenness within our society. And I've heard people say, well, our society will never be perfect. That's not the point. We're, we're, we're trying to make the kingdom come, right? We're trying to make our society look like what it should look like. And, and whether we think it'll be ever be perfect or not, we should die trying to make sure that we represent uh, what the kingdom should be. All right, let's um, let's pause right there. Let's take a brief break. When we come back, I want to um, I want to briefly touch on the intersection of COVID, race, health, and wealth because that uh, popped up yesterday. And then I also want to celebrate with you the churches helping churches uh, effort and uh, remind people that that is ongoing. So we'll be right back. I'm talking with Justin Gibney from the And And Campaign, um, and we we take a very brief break, but then we'll be right back.
Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Justin, let's um, let's celebrate churches helping churches here for just a moment. Uh, we talked about this the last time that you joined us, but there's been an event, um, and that was v- what I would describe as very successful and encouraging. But this is an ongoing effort. So I want you to remind people uh, about churches helping churches and tell them where they can find more information and participate. Sure. So Churches Helping Churches came from the the fact that a lot of small at-risk churches, especially in urban areas, are really struggling through uh, this COVID-19 crisis. As I was talking to churches in our um, uh, network, uh, pastors who who had smaller churches were very worried that once, you know, church kind of got shut down, and I I think they understood why the lockdown was there, but it became very clear that they were going to have trouble making it through this time because these these are often churches in low-income areas that don't have a lot of resources to begin with. So to not be able to have service, to have maybe an older congregation uh, that uh, can't give online put you in a very tight situation. And so uh, I wanted to do all I could to, to help churches get through this this moment because I believe that's what the church is, is for, that if our brothers and sisters are struggling, uh, other churches, other brothers and sisters should step in to make sure that they survive through a crisis like this. And so we started the Churches Helping Churches um, uh, Challenge. And what we're doing uh, is we have a COVID-19 uh, church relief fund. We're giving um, grants to churches, $3,000 grants to churches to help them make make it through this moment. But we're also encouraging, and really the thrust of what we're doing, we're, we're encouraging churches, large churches, to help smaller churches in their area, to seek out these churches and say, how can we help? Because the, the thing is, uh, Carmen, some larger churches have seen uh, you know, uh, they're, the money coming in, the resources coming in either stay the same or some have even received more money. Uh, and so there's a chance to help churches that, that really might not make it without you. And keep in mind that these churches in these low-income areas are pillars of that community, and those communities need them to be there after this crisis. Absolutely. So um, where, where do you want to direct people online um, to learn more and to give? Sure. So you can go to churchrelief.org, churchrelief.org, and that's where you can find out more. You can find out about the criteria, but you can also give. And we, you know, any amount of money is is, is valuable to us uh, because we're trying to help as many churches as possible. All right. I love that. Um, so yesterday, the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, pointed out what uh, we have talked about before, was that there are some Americans who seem to be more susceptible to coronavirus complications and even death um, because they're already suffering from diseases like diabetes or hypertension um, or obesity. He also acknowledged that African-Americans are especially at risk. Um, So here are the stats. Black people make up about 13.4 percent of the U.S. population, um, but maybe as many as half of all COVID-19 cases and 60% of COVID-19 related deaths. Um, I don't think that for those of us who have been paying attention to the intersection of uh, health, wealth, race, poverty, education, housing, transportation, on and on and on, um, I, I don't think for those of us who have been paying attention, we're necessarily particularly surprised that um, – Vulnerable populations find themselves more vulnerable to something like a pandemic. Um, but what are your, you know, what are your sort of thoughts on this particular part of the COVID-19 conversation, particularly when it seems as if um, 
the observations made by some are then sort of turned around in accusatory ways. And I'm not sure that's particularly helpful. Yeah. You, you know, again, this goes back to a lot of health disparities. There's a lot of things, but, but I think it should end a lot of debates, right? So, so sometimes we can talk about things in the abstract and it seems like, okay, maybe there aren't these disparities or we can, you know, we can give this these, uh, we can give reasons for them when a crisis comes and it clearly hits one community or a few communities harder than another. There's no really room to debate. I think for Christians, it's time to act. And so all the accusations and reasons why don't let your politics and your ideology get in the way of your compassion. And we, we do that too much. Instead of just saying, hey, this is a moment for me to be compassionate. We say, well, this is a moment to make sure that my narrative, my ideological or partisan narrative stays intact. And that's the worst thing that Christians can do. That That's really where our society is at today, where our political landscape is at today. But that's not where Christians should be. There are moments where you're just to have have compassion and throw all the narratives out. And so that's what I would call people to do. All these accusations flying around. It's not helping anybody. We see people hurting. And when I look, you know, to, to how Jesus interacted and when I look through the Bible, when you see hurting people, it's not time to to raise all these different questions and make sure that it sounds like you were right. It's time to help. The question of when I see a hurting person, how how I respond, um, I think is is the question, Justin, that you've been seeking to provoke for a really long time, um, because whether or not I have the right affect, whether or not I have the right feeling, whether or not there is um, a, a real heart beating inside this real chest, um, or as C.S. Lewis, you know, would say, you know, if it's just this, you know, like sucking void of a chest, right? There's nothing there. Um, the mm. Whether or not I have the right affect, whether or not I feel the right way about a hurting person um, is, I think, the that's sort of the James indicator of of the works related to faith. Like, that's where the work begins. If if it's not moving in my heart, it's certainly not going to move out through my head and my hands. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, you you look at the Good Samaritan. <laughs> the Good Samaritan had every reason not to do what he did, but that was the point. All that mattered was this was his neighbor and that this was something this was someone that was hurting. And if Christians can't do that today in the middle of a crisis, then we're in, you know, we're in big trouble. So we need to get back to the bases, get back to the first things. And when you see someone hurting, help. We can have discussions and debates later, uh, but we need to help first. Amen, my brother. Um, thank you so much. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the comment that you made earlier. You know, we are supposed to be the people who aren't just praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but making those kingdom principles and realities evident here uh, right now in this day. So thank you so much. And um, I'm with you. Let us die trying. Take care, Carmen. Take care. That's Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. We're going to encourage you to check out churchrelief.org. We'll be right back. Well, I alerted you in the first hour that I was beginning to hear um, news that Ravi Zacharias had passed and is now with Jesus, and RZIM has now posted um, an obituary. They have posted an update on their website. You can read it for yourself at rzim.org, and I want to read part of the note posted uh, by his daughter, Sarah Davis. Uh... Because um, 
it's long and it's worth reading and his life is worth celebrating and it um it's not often that um death moves me moves me to tears because death is so much a part of the regular rhythm of life but um Ravi Zacharias has spoken into the lives of so many of us for so long, and it is really hard to imagine um, the world without his voice. And so I'm grateful for RZIM. I'm grateful that he's invested in the next generation of Christian apologists and lovers of Jesus and lovers of people. But let me read uh, a paragraph from Sarah Davis's post at rzim.org. My dad's humility, grace, tenderness for people, and above all, love for the Lord are forever imprinted on my mind, my heart, and my life. His love for our family will be impossible to replace until we join him in heaven one day. Ravi and Margie just celebrated their 48th wedding anniversary, and my mother was entirely committed to my dad's calling and to this ministry, believing God called them together. I cannot recall even one moment when I saw her commitment to this calling weaken because she always placed unwavering trust in the God who called them and to his purposes. We experience God's kindness and faithfulness in so many ways from so many of you um, in bringing dad home. And so uh, she goes on, Sarah Davis goes on to speak on behalf of uh, her sister and brother, Naomi and Nathan and her mom, Margie, and um, I just encourage you to read uh, what they've posted at rzim.org. I wanted to read that portion because next up I'm going to have a conversation about marriage and about uh, the enduring nature of marriage and why it's worth investing in our marriages, no matter uh, how long we've been married. So next up, Dave Harvey with I Still Do, growing closer and stronger through life's defining moments. Now and will know. I won't get caught. I'm only human. Don't make matters worse by doing something you'll regret. This is Max Lucado. Years ago, a friend gave me this counsel. Make a list of all the lives you would impact through your sexual immorality. I did. Every so often, I reread it. Dina, my three daughters, my son-in-law, my yet-to-be-born grandchildren, every person who's ever read one of my books or heard my sermons, my publishing team, our church staff. The list reminds me, one act of carnality is a poor exchange for a lifetime of lost legacy. You don't fix a struggling marriage with an affair. A drug problem with more drugs? You don't fix stupid with stupid. Do what pleases God. Turbulent times will tempt you to forget Him. Shortcuts will lure you. But don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Do what pleases God. Nothing more, nothing less. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Pastor Dave Harvey. We're going to talk about marriage, and specifically we're going to talk about his book, I Still Do, Growing Closer and Stronger Through Life's Defining Moments. Dave, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's good to be with you. All right, so um, I'm just letting you know that uh, between the last guest and uh, and you joining us, um, I have confirmed and we have shared with our listeners that our friend and colleague in ministry, Ravi Zacharias, has gone to be with the Lord. And um, and one of the uh, key parts of what his family chose to post and say about him, you know, is to celebrate his 48-year 
marriage to Margie. And so I thought that um, a marriage that had so many very public defining moments um, was actually uh, a good a good starting place for this conversation now. Let's talk about marriage as um, as an enduring reality um, and help us understand it as help us see it as such. Yes, I uh, I, I heard that news as well. And, uh, you know, c- celebrate the the fruit of his life and recognize the reality that Ravi's in a in a better place than any of us right now. And uh, I'm grateful for the testimony of his marriage. And uh, and and yeah, I think that part of what it testifies to is that uh, there's a marriage that's finishing well together. And that's really the aim aim of the book. It's it's trying to recognize certain defining moments that couples walk through so that they can have a, a durable marriage. You know, it's it's not just enough to get started well. I mean, getting started well is important, and and I that's my hope for people. But but marriage is is complex and has a lot of twists and turns, and so kind of understanding what what the defining moments will be and being able to anticipate that what they are and you know is going to position couples to be able to succeed together for the glory of God. So I. Um... I appreciate your uh, your first book, and so let me uh, let me just uh, confirm this. My husband is married to a sinner. <laughs> yes, and as is my <laughs> wife. Yeah, the first book is is titled "When Sinners Say I Do," and that was released about uh, ten, eleven years ago. And uh, over over that over the period of the last decade, you know, as I've done a lot of marriage events here in the States and even in different countries. I, I've just been listening to people. And and one of the consistent themes that I've heard is just this idea that, you know, falling in love is easy, but uh, staying in love is much more difficult. And so I, I began thinking, you know, what are, what are the experiences we encounter as a marriage matures that determines the course of love? Because when sinners say I do seem to be used primarily for premarital newlyweds and crisis intervention. But I thought, you know, we have this whole path that goes way beyond that deep into life. And and, you know, what what would it look like to write something that speaks more to to the maturing marriage? And that's where I still do came from. It's kind of a companion volume to when sinners say I do. Well, it's an excellent book, uh, and I have several copies to give away today. So if you are interested in uh, a maturing marriage, well, you're interested in your own maturing marriage, um, and you are interested in maturing in marriage, might be another way of phrasing this, uh, and you want to enter the drawing for one of the copies I have, just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. The book is I Still Do growing closer and stronger through life's defining moments. Um, Dave, let's talk about some of the big defining moments in marriage that you talk about in I Still Do. Sure, yeah, there are there are 10 listed, and each chapter is written around a defining moment. So just some, some examples would be when you, when you discover brokenness is broader than sin. Uh, chapter four is the moment of weakness. There's a chapter titled, 
when your spouse suffers. There's a chapter on when you discover sex changes with age, when when dreams disappoint, when the kids leave. Uh, when, and the final chapter is when when grace conquers the moments you've wasted. And so those are, that's just a sampling of kind of the some of the defining moments that are talked about in the book, Carmen. Let's um let's talk specifically about the suffering chapter because um it is one thing for us to stand and say uh that we will be committed to one another um in you know in sickness and in health um in plenty and in want in joy and in sorrow. It's another thing when one of those negative side dark side issues arises and we have a spouse who is genuinely suffering the loss of a job or career or the loss of a sense of who they are because of that, or, uh, you know, one who is suffering um, in a physical or emotional or mental way. Um, and so talk with us about about the suffering chapter. Well, exactly. And that's what makes it a defining moment, because if you stay married long enough, one of you is going to suffer and uh, how we respond when our spouse suffers says a lot about our true vision for marriage. You know, our, the, in other words, the vision for marriage didn't necessarily include or wasn't clear on growing older, because as you grow older, you begin to suffer physically in ways that you don't when you're younger. Or, or, or maybe we've narrowed the field to think about marriage as just the good times where you know, where we just prop each other up. But when when our spouse becomes a liability in some way, you know, the, the marriage begins to tank. And so I tell stories in this chapter because, you know, there's so many good things, Carmen, that are written on suffering. But I wanted to take the tack of how do we serve and love and care and respond when our spouse suffers? So I've got a, I've got a friend, his name's Lee. Um, Lee contracted ALS about three years ago, and and Kim and I, <clears throat> excuse me, Kim and I have been walking alongside of Lee and Rhonda uh, from the point where they were hiking together to the point where they were just able to walk together, and then he began limping, and then he was on a cane, and then a walker, and now Lee is bound to a wheelchair, and and, you know, the systems of his body are, are shutting down. And yet, Carmen, I've watched this guy and, and Rhonda, his wife, just put on a clinic as his health has deteriorated and, and just seen the way they have sought to love one another, care for one another. And not just Rhonda caring for Lee because he's in a wheelchair, but how Lee seeks to, to, to display courage that's going to, you know, have her looking to God and make making sure she's taken care of. And, uh, and, and they're both serving God and each other heroically towards this inevitable ending, because ALS always ends the same way. And yet they're, they're doing it in such a way that makes much of God and much of each other. And so I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, yeah, look at the way they're handling this defining moment when your spouse suffers. I'm talking with Pastor Dave Harvey. We're talking about his book, I Still Do. If you are interested in entering the drawing for a copy, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We have to take a brief pause. We'll be right back. We can trust 
Continuing my conversation with Pastor Dave Harvey. You can find him at RevDaveHarvey.com. We're talking about I Still Do, growing closer and stronger through life's defining moments. Um, Thank you for those of you who are texting in. Let me remind you, all you text is the word book. If you text anything else, you don't get the bounce back uh, link. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Dave, uh, my husband and I have been married for just over nine years, and um, we we set out with a vision for our marriage. I mean, you know, I was I was an old bride, right? So first first marriage, old bride. I knew uh, I knew certainly my heart's desire to only be in a marriage that was going to be you know all the way home to the father's house, a marriage where um, we were only in it really for the advancement of God's kingdom through each of us and both of us together. Um, And in this particular case, to be a redemptive witness to the next generation who had um, seen marriage, you know, broken against some pretty, uh, from pretty, some pretty difficult rocks. And so we have this framework of a vision of marriage um, all the way home to the father's house, that our marriage would be redemptive, a redemptive witness uh, first to our own household and then um, that we would be mutually committed to strengthening and encouraging one another in our individual and collective call before the Lord. So, um, and we have had many defining moments in just those nine years. Talk with us about um, no matter where a person is right now today in their marriage, how do you sit down and start the conversation about sort of needing to strengthen a marriage? Like, need it, we need this. Like, we need this, honey. We need this. Yes, great question. I, you know, I think that conversation actually begins with God, and and it begins in prayer as you're praying first for your own heart, um, and praying to have any logs removed that are necessary to be removed so that you can see more clearly, and then praying for your spouse and the conversation itself, so that when you enter the conversation, you're kind of going in having spiritually prepared. And then I think it's it's honesty, isn't it, Carmen? It's it's going in. I think uh, asking questions rather than you know making emphatic statements that just make you look like you're Moses coming down from the mountain with God's truth. Uh, we all see through the mirror dimly, and so we have to approach each other as if that's a reality. And and all we have is our perspective, and so we want to share our perspective, but. But we can't relate to our perspective as if it's just the true and only measure of reality. I think a lot of a lot of couples, Carmen, you know, they really begin to um, become disillusioned and somewhat disoriented when they discover that they they come together in marriage and begin to have problems. It's just not what they expect it to be. And and for some people, the the problems don't resolve quickly. And, you know, you, you think that oh, well, all I need to do is, is take this step, this step, this step. I've heard this sermon. I've read this book. And, you know, this should resolve the problem. But but change is is not really like that all the time. Change takes place over a long haul sometimes where we're playing the long game here. And, uh, and and sometimes even there's a there's an absence of closure on issues that God allows, because there are certain things that can be reached in our heart through the absence of resolving something 
that can only be surfaced as a result of things remaining unresolved. And so, and, and, and so, you know, we learn to trust God. We learn desperation for God. We lean on God. We, our prayer lives are cultivated even more sometimes when things aren't resolving. That's why there's a defining moment of, of, of when you learn that, that closure is overrated. All right, Dave, um, we have uh, we have like two minutes left, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the final chapter and why you wrote it, because um, it's it's significant and it's surprising. Yeah, the final chapter is is when grace is greater than the moments we we waste. And it's based around a short story by Tolstoy titled The Death of Ivan Ilyich. And so Ivan Ilyich is a character that Tolstoy created, creates that represents the morally shallow person. Uh, he's, a, he's a worker who basically squanders his days, not doing his job, but trying to build a reputation. He's a faithful guy, an intelligent guy, but he really exists for the praise of others. Ivan is the consummate individual who lives an unexamined life. And so one day he detects this pain in his side, but because he's so, so self-obsessed, his behavior actually manufactures the problem and he gets a pain and, and he begins to die over this pain that was initially imaginary. So he's dying over this pain that his narcissism you know, creates. But the heart of the story is that with his dying comes the terror of a realization of a wasted marriage, of a wasted life. And yet right before his death, there's a there's a burst of truth and a burst of light. And he has what what most commentators agree is, is a kind of deathbed conversion. And, and one of the things you discover is here's a man who's wasted his entire life. But 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 the power of Jesus, the transforming power of the gospel is so great that it's it's even greater than his wasted life. Grace is greater than the things we waste. So it's the thief on the cross. It's it's the parable of the 11th hour workers getting paid the same as those who, who started the day. And I wrote this as the last chapter, Carmen, and I'll wrap up here, because any thinking believer who's married knows that they've screwed up in some way. We, we know that we've failed. We know we're not the best spouse we can be. And yet even for those things, we have to realize there there is grace. Because grace comes to us not only in the person of Jesus, but in the power of Jesus. And grace gives us the power to finish the race together. Amen. Um, Dave Harvey, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can find Dave at RevDaveHarvey.com. The book is I Still Do. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have, which I know you now want very much. All you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Dave, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you. We'll be right back. All right. Short goodbye today, but a long hello for tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.